Hi, this is Tanya Domi. Welcome to The Thought Project, recorded at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, fostering groundbreaking research and scholarship in the arts, social sciences, and sciences. In this space, we talk with faculty and doctoral students about the big thinking and big ideas generating cutting-edge research, informing New Yorkers and the world. Professor Helena Rosenblatt is a professor of history. Her specialty is 18th and 19th century European intellectual history. She is the author and editor of several books who has written the timely and critically acclaimed Lost History of Liberalism from Ancient Rome to the 21st Century. Welcome to The Thought Project. Thank you, Tanya. It's really nice to be here. It's great to have you. Um, Liberalism, the idea of liberalism and the rise of illiberalism is on the tongue of many pundits and is included in countless private and public conversations going on in America today and certainly throughout the world at this moment. How could you have been so prescient about this topic and its timing? Well, you know, I'd love to take credit and say that I was so prescient, but I've just been interested in liberalism for a very long time, and I think it was kind of a happy coincidence, actually. Um, And, of course, now I realize how how very, very uh, timely the topic is. But I set out with a very historical uh, agenda, if you will, in mind. Yeah, survey, indeed, I think. Uh, that's in-depth, right. depth in-depth survey going back to the Romans. That's right. Well, when I first started, um, and I was approached by an editor at a, a major academic press, um, there was really no history of liberalism on the market, and there was nothing like it. People mention liberalism. There's all sorts of ideas out there about liberalism, and of course now, as you mentioned, about with illiberalism growing around the world, there are people writing books defending liberalism, attacking liberalism, blaming liberalism, all sorts of books out there, but a history of liberalism, um, certainly not um, like the one I've written. Uh, exists. It's got a unique niche. So this book, uh, which I've already introduced to our listeners, but The Lost History of Liberalism from Ancient Rome to the 21st Century, uh, you you said about this book, this book is really about words and that you offer a word history of liberalism because it is so misunderstood and muddled, perhaps, in the minds of many people. Indeed, it has proven to be quite a distinct topic of conversation in present-day America. For example, this word, the idea of liberalism, is certainly under attack, has been under attack for quite some time, and many people don't even like to call themselves uh, liberal. And I see this sort of uh, migration to progressive now from liberalism. Uh, And so even the word itself is tainted. So tell us this history. I think it's absolutely fascinating. 
Well, thank you. Yes, I noticed when I started, when I started this project, I thought I would do a pretty straightforward, traditional approach with a chapter each, let's say, on the great liberal thinkers. I might start with Locke, move on to Smith, maybe certainly John Stuart Mill would be in there. And when I started to think a little bit more about this, and I started to ask, like, why am I, like, who said that John Locke is is a founding father of liberalism? Did he mention it? Did he call himself a liberal? Did he, was there something called liberalism as, at the time? Was there even a word? And, of course, um, I started then to, to do research, and, you know, now there's really exciting, you can do word searches and stuff like that. So I discovered um, some, some very interesting things. But what I wanted to do... I thought that what people do when they write histories of liberalism is that they start with a concept of liberalism and then they go back in history and they find pieces of it uh, in these great thinkers. They line them up and they kind of cherry pick them and their ideas to add up to this thing called liberalism. You look in a lot of places and you'll, you know, whenever they discuss liberalism, very often the the scholar or the writer will start by saying it's a slippery concept. (laughs) It's a vague term. Um, You know, it's hard to define, but I will define it this way. And so it's like a personal definition, and then they construct a history to justify that that definition. So what I wanted to do, and as a historian, I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of reverse the process and say, well, wait a second, what did liberals say about liberalism? How did they describe themselves and what they were for? What did liberalism mean to the people who used the term? And I trace this, and that's why it's a lost history of liberalism. It's a very historical approach that follows this word, but more than the word, it's not a semantic history because it's a concept, right? Liberalism is a bundle of concepts, I would say, and it gets redefined over time. And all sorts of interesting, surprising things um, uh, are discovered through this approach, which is a new approach, um, a conceptual history approach. I I think it's appropriate. so many people have different concepts of what liberalism means. I mean, I, I may speak in my class about the liberal form of governance. And, you know, it's not political. It's actually a construct in, in, in the way uh, governments establish themselves and share of the public good, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, it's very interesting how it gets all muddled and it's been really perverted. Uh, it, particularly in America at this time. I, I would say that um, a lot of people, Americans, are so, I think, really self-absorbed that they really don't know, and you remind the readers quite effectively, that actually the French invented liberalism and gave rise to its meaning, and the Germans later reformed it. You argue that France not only invented it, but it's been central central to its existence. It seemingly is manifest, I think, in its national motto of liberté, equality, fraternité. Indeed, its gift to the United States, the Statue of Liberty, came after the conclusion of the American Revolution. Um, Talk about the French in this context. I think it's really important that we remind ourselves and re- and re- reclaim history, so to speak. 
Well, a couple of things then. The word liberalism was coined uh, in, in the aftermath of the French Revolution or around 1812 or 14. And you know, uh, Tanya, it was actually a, a pejorative. It was a smear word at first, like a lot of isms are, you know, and it was considered, it was called a religio heresy. Uh, so, mm. and that's interesting because a lot of these isms in the 19th century were Anabaptism, Calvinism, uh, for example. Related, isms to, connected to the are, church. Yeah, but and, and, and isms are generally bad at first, and then eventually they will uh, take on the word themselves. Um, but yes, um, throughout the centuries, uh, I mean, the, the 19th century afterwards, Liberalism is very much attached to uh, the French successive revolutions. You know, they had one in 1789, another one in 1830, another one in 1848, yes. mm -hmm. another one in 1870. And even, you know, in America, the word doesn't really enter the political lexicon until the early 20th century. century. Yeah. So this idea of an Anglo-American tradition is a construct, traditions usually are, constructed after the fact. And we can go into um, why, why that happened. But an interesting fact, for example, because it's hard for people to, you know, understand this French origins and the Frenchness of, of the word <laughs> and the discussion. Uh, in 1830, the Encyclopedia Americana does not even have an entry on liberalism. The, liber the entry on liberalism uh, first appears in the Encyclopedia of Political Science at the end of the 19th century, and then it's a translation of a French article. Interesting. In America, when they used the word liberal in the political sense, because, of course, the word liberal had been in use for, for a long time. I'm not suggesting that the word liberal was right. invented, but it right. meant something slightly different. Um, but the word liberal in the political sense in America and in England was often written with an E at the end or in italics to sort of indicate its, its foreignness. It was something... and 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 something quite scary to people. Because alien. alien. Alien and kind of scary because it mm -hmm. was attached to revolution, to upheaval, and to those French who keep having revolutions. <laughs> right. Interesting. That's really interesting. Um, and right now, it, it's an interesting thing to think about given uh, yesterday's events, like at the, the UN <laughs> where Macron, President Macron, you know, basically said, we're not going to trade... We're not going to trade with the Americans around these issues. And, of course, you know, we know what happened with uh, Mr. Trump, uh, who was laughed at, really, yeah. by representatives of the world. Uh, yeah. So not only is liberalism comes late to America, but you have asserted, which I find absolutely fascinating, and I didn't really put it together, was that you have asserted that at its heart, most liberals were moralists. Yeah. And of course, I understand who the moralists were, particularly in the late 19th century and 20th century in America. Uh, you say you say this is a fact lost to history, and and so tell me how do, how did this outpicture when you think about moralists in connection uh, to liberalism? And I'm thinking, quite frankly, I'd like 
you know, listeners to think, I'm thinking of the abolitionists, mm-hmm. and I'm also thinking of the temperance movement mm-hmm. in America. Sure, but I would go further pl- pl- back. Uh, well, please, yeah. I would go further back, and I can return to this this idea of the of the modern or the, the common, the current definition of liberalism. When I said that uh, people, uh, you know, have an idea of liberalism and then go back into history to find evidence of this. Um, and I told you that people say it's vague, it's hard to define, and so on. What, one thing people seem to agree, whether they're for liberalism or against liberalism, whatever their, their, their approach is, uh, people, when they describe scholars in particular and writers of all kinds, when they talk about liberalism, they all say it's all about rights, individual rights and individual interests, and the government is there to protect those. Well, it's very interesting because if you go back to the early instances of the word, the liberals of the time, somebody like Benjamin Constant, who is a founder of liberalism, one of the first to theorize liberalism, he's just about just as much about duties and about goodness and about the common good that he is about the individual. And Madame de Stael too, and the early liberals never mention rights without mentioning duties. And they speak about things like self-sacrifice, a generosity, compassion, And this goes back, actually, to the earlier uh, definition of the word liberal. So in my first chapter, I talk about the uh, meaning of the word liberal and liberality, which was the noun that went with liberal before liberalism. So if liberalism was invented and coined in the early 19th century, liberal and liberality were the terms that go all the way back to, to Roman times. And they are antecedent to this. They're antecedents, and they're very much moral concepts, right? Or right. Si- they're attached to civil civic words. Going back to Cicero, um, to be liberal was to be a good citizen. It was to love freedom, but also to be generous, to be magnanimous. Liberality meant magnanimity, and they thought society couldn't cohere without this kind of um, sacrifice to others, uh, the very opposite of self-interest. Right? So it, it, it infers duties and responsibilities. Duties and responsibilities to the common good. It's something that seems to have dropped out of current discussions. Liberals rarely today, I find, use that language to describe themselves, patriotism, uh, morals, duties. It, it's as if they have um, ceded, it, uh, ceded, ceded that it. word to the conservatives and to the Republicans, who are very good at talking about patriotism, right? But it, it's 19th century, it, liberals spoke about patriotism all the time. It's very interesting. I actually see a resurgence of this, on, uh, particularly in places like Facebook. There's lots of discussion about patriotism these days. And it's among people that you would call progressive or liberal. Um, uh, you know, having served in the military myself and oh, looking at that. looking at that obligation, yeah, 15 years, Um, um you know, there's a sense of patriotism and duty and and obligation to the country, and uh, and I actually think that later when I worked in the State Department, there's another sense of duty and obligation and patriotism, and there's a lot of discussion about that going on right now because a, a lot of us who feel invested in the country and 
and what the mm. country's principles and values, how those were outpictured, have seemed to have disappeared in the last two years. And there's great uh, lamentation about that these days. Right. It seems that um, the, the issues are very often framed in terms of rights and choices. And I'm not, I mean, I would never be, be opposed to that, and neither would the liberals I'm discussing. But it's, they, they really did believe that you have rights because you have duties. These rights will help you uh, become a better person, a more giving person, so, or a more educated person. I mean, that may sound strange to us today, but for example, the right um, uh, freedom of conscience that's supposed to make you a more sincere religious person and not so, and, and more interested in doing good in this life as a opposed to um, engaging in a lot of um, ceremonies and uh, what they regarded as, as superstitions. Uh, freedom of thought also was meant to help you educate yourself. All of this to make better citizens. I don't want to exaggerate what I'm saying here, but it's just a lost dimension of liberalism. Uh, it's rarely discussed. Like I said, mm -hmm. most people just talk about it. And you've reclaimed it in this text. Mm -hmm. um, so this is not really uh, non sequitur. I think it's actually conflated. In your Guardian op-ed, you state that a common mistake is to conflate liberalism with democracy. Uh, indeed, the two concepts are not synonyms. I'm quoting you. Uh, and you actually assert that many of the founders and the inventors or creators of liberalism were far from being Democrats, small d. Exactly. Can you can you expound Absolutely. on that? Absolutely. Well, I you know I was saying that uh, liberalism emerged in the wake of the French Revolution. Liberals wanted to safeguard the achievements of, of the revolution. Uh, I would say uh, rule of law, uh, civil equality, representative constitutional government, and a number of rights. When they looked at the people they and democracy, they thought of the crowds in the street, the violence that had occurred. It was under a, you know, the terror, this, this terror uh, of mobs. Uh, mobs, yeah, anarchy, that kind of thing. So they wanted to uh, they they believed that the vote and office holding should be based on capacity. You and to have capacity required, they thought um, so, some property and some education. So there was a tension between liberalism and democracy all throughout the 19th century. The liberals were not the first to suggest expanding the electorate to uh, all all men, not to mention women. Right. Uh, they they one person one vote. Right. They did not. But and this when they start talking about liberal democracy. Now, there's an interesting term again. Mm. Yes. Liberal democracy yes. happens at mid-century and it's an aspirational term. It's not a descriptive term. It's, it's, in other words, a democracy that has been made liberal. And what do you mean by that? Well, it's one that is uh, moralized and educated because that word liberal continues to have that moral meaning that it kind of brought with it from ancient Roman times. Uh, and there are lots of texts and articles in newspapers where they speak of making democracy liberal. This again happens in France under, for example, Napoleon III, who institutes universal male suffrage, and it ends up as a 
as a dictatorship. The people elect a dictator. I mean, we can talk about whether those were real elections or fair elections sure, or not. Sure. But in principle, there was the and and so either the they they have this view of of the crowd, uh, of the of the people as being either irrational and violent. Or bear, and or very gullible to dictators and demagogues. So what you need to do is educate them and moralize them so that they can see beyond their immediate self-interest. So that in a democracy, you're actually ruled by people or people are, are um, the American version of democracy was, is, is more a representative right. democracy. So you keep the people under control. That's right. More or less. There was a confusion right? about the term. Here, here we go again. There was mm-hmm. a confusion about the term for a long time. Some people thought of democracy as uh, direct democracy. You know, one man, one, one, one vote. W- vote. Right. Or, or as m- like mob rule. It was built into the term. And they were only over time, they start to think of it as a representative democracy. Uh, and that's how you get to, to liberal democracy eventually. So this idea of mobs and the mob taking over has always been out there. It's sort of like the the, right. the boogeyman that's the potential <laughs> and they're uneducated for and they're uneducated and and, and can lead to populist <laughs> right, results populist. <laughs> when they're not educated and they don't really know um, what their real interest is there's a good deal of elitism in this as well as you can imagine oh absolutely so this is a good segue to talk about um, more I, I suppose more in a contemporary uh, context, but uh, maybe perhaps there's something historically that you can introduce into this. But we are witnessing a global rise of illiberalism, and we're seeing it from India to the Philippines to Europe, Hungary, Poland, Russia, Turkey, uh, and of course, here at home in the United States, and this is animating lots of discussions, both in government and outside of government, both in the academy and in think tanks. And there's a lot of concern about it. And you mentioned this in the opening of your your op-ed, where you cite Fareed Zakaria's book, uh, which of course I read. Uh, yeah, a quarter of a century ago, <laughs> and and that's hard to believe. And then uh, all these questions of existential crisis that are now animating discussions, illiberalism. Uh, what do you have to say about that? Well, and, and how does that maybe inter intersect, or how is it informed by your well, by your again, book? Well, again. Um, some people were very confused by this notion of a liberal democracy. How mm-hmm. can you have such a thing? And if you think of what I just said, that liberalism and democracy are actually two traditions that become intertwined at different times in history, and certainly are today, but they don't mean the same thing. So you can have a democracy that does not respect the rule of law, uh, various rights, uh, as we see around the world, but that claim that they are democracies. And of course, these these dictators and would-be and demagogues they appeal directly to the people. 
They say they embody the will of the people, so they are the real expression of the will of the, of the people. And they, they say they're, they're against the elites, and they are the true representative of the people. You have this uh, going back to uh, Napoleon, the first Napoleon, mm-hmm. the th- Napoleon the third. Of course, you didn't have the, the media um, that you have today, but you had similar uh, similar. Uh, processes and, and ways of going about things, you, using media, using spectacles, uh, using ceremony, you know, all, all the methods that they had disposable to them, the Napoleons to, and then you can ha- talk about Bismarck, um, to appeal directly to the, pa- to the people. And this is what the liberals at the time uh, got very uh, worried about and upset about. They saw this manipulative form of, of, of de- democracy was some kind of democracy because it was based on universal male, uh, male suffrage, but it wasn't liberal um, because it was twisted in this sense and it was did not respect. Perverted. 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 Uh-huh. It was not re- respectful of rights and of, um, yeah. Um, I think that not only, um, you know, this existential crisis we're talking about right now, but we're we're also you know, actually looking at the American democracy itself being at risk. And yesterday probably was sort of a a dark day in the history of the United States going before the world body of the UN and the president of the United States is laughed at. Um, he, He actually, as you were describing these dictators historically, I was thinking of Mr. Trump. Of course. I mean, he epitomizes it. He goes around the country to do these rallies in the places where he won. He won't go where he didn't win. And he says, you know, I'm the person that's changing everything, and this is the best it's ever been, and I can do it. You know, you just have to trust me. It'll be all right. It'll be the best it has ever been. Um, What is, I mean, liberalism is... Talking about this is some, as to be feared, obviously, but when you start talking about the the pervocation of those those principles and those values of democracy, uh, and how liberal democracy is being perverted, how 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 does the historian in you view that? Well, I'll take that. You know, I'll I'll, I'll take another example, which shows kind of the flip side of that. Okay, and that is, uh, and we're talking about America, so let me talk about Abraham Lincoln. Because when uh, he was a model for many of these liberals, because, you know, for a very long time, uh, educated people in, in France and in Europe thought that this American experiment was doomed to failure. I mean, here you have a large democracy, and they believed that the large democracies were not going to work, and they were going to degenerate. And here you see all the problems of democracy in, in Europe. American democracy is bound to fail. And then you have, um, you have Lincoln, who and why do they call him a liberal 
who is liberalizing democracy, educating democracy, because they think of him as somebody engaged in moral uplift. He is not a demagogue, even though he appeals to the people because he does not appeal to their lowest instincts. That's another thing that demagogues do, right, and that the liberals at the time were very worried about. Appealing to their lowest instincts instead of lifting them up, moralizing them. I mean, this sounds very kind of old-fashioned, and actually it's it's... It shows how cynical we have become in a way, um, but that it sounds this way. But they really did think that he was engaged in moral uplift, and this made him a great liberal leader of a democracy. Gladstone was looked that way too. You know, some accuse his 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 enemies, uh, the Tories and the Conservatives, and. Um, accused him of, of demagoguery. He had this great power of, of, of speech. Oratory. And oratory. Yes. Um, but he also was seen to educate democracy. His speeches would be full of examples. Um, uh, it meant to educate the, the population and tell them about self-sacrifice and what it meant to be a citizen and how much, uh, how, how important it was to vote, what a trust it was to vote. Well, it's not a right for for liberals. The vote is not a right. I mean, maybe today it is, but I'm saying in the 19th century, century it was. Uh, tr- it was a it was a trust, not a right. So you needed to have some kind of capacity to exercise it. And judgment, and clearly, judgment. and judgment. Um, so the book is lost history of liberalism from ancient Rome to 21st century. Congratulations. And it was uh, great to have you here today and very soon, next week. As a matter of fact, you're hosting here at the Graduate Center uh, an all-day conference, uh, The Many Faces of Liberalism, on October 2nd. And there will be an evening program uh, as well that GC presents. Uh, Congratulations. This is certainly a good time to have more Lincoln and less Trump. (laughs) Thank you, Tanya. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to The Thought Project, and thanks to our guest, Professor Helena Rosenblatt of the Graduate Center. The Thought Project is brought to you with production, engineering, and technical assistance by Sarah Fishman. I'm Tanya Domi. Tune in next week.